was. And I didn't know, I sure as heck didn't know what the solution to what was wrong with me. So I'll go ahead and just start at the beginning. I, um, I grew up in Michigan. I uh, had three sisters. I grew up out on 40 acres and I, um, I sure, I wouldn't say I had a normal childhood. I did till I was about 12, you know, mom, dad, just everything was fine. And then my parents got divorced and my mom married uh, this Kentucky guy and he was a raging alcoholic and he was really nice when he drank beer, just kind of a big teddy bear. But when he got a hold of whiskey, it was like the devil took over him. And so you never really knew um, he had, and he was like this really big guy and he had all these brothers <laughs> from Kentucky too. So it was like, they'd be out in the backyard shooting guns and um, drinking beer, which, you know, is probably not the best combination. And uh, so it, it kind of got um, a little bit weird for a while, but I, at 16, I discovered alcohol. And, and it was nice that my stepfather, um, he was well known by the police in our little tiny town and they would just kind of say, okay, go home, you're drunk. And if me and my friends could never, obviously we couldn't purchase alcohol at 16. So we would just go find him and he'd buy it for us. But um, it, it worked. I, I remember I smoked pot for a year or two before that, but when I found alcohol, I set everything aside. And for me, there is no outside issues. Alcohol was my great love. It gave me exactly what I was looking for. I was very shy and introverted. And when I drank, it just, it's not like it made me an extrovert. It didn't make me where I would want to go out and be so much a part of. Basically, what it did was it made me okay to sit in a corner and just be a part of, you know, watching the action go on. I was totally okay with it. Um, I It just put me at an even keel. And as I got older, um, I really... I would I did not drink alcoholically from the get-go. I will put that out there right now. I am one of those late bloomers. It worked for me. I definitely had all the symptoms, but I could control it. I could enjoy it. I didn't have the obsession uh, right off the bat. Now, my sister, who is a year and a half younger than me, who is my good buddy, she, from the get-go, the first time we got drunk together, she was a blackout drinker. And I bring this up because it's, you know, the difference between me and her, we both started at the exact same time. And yet her experience, she went downhill very, very fast. She was a blackout drinker. Uh, by the time she was 17, she was drinking daily. And she, uh, I actually have a lot of uh, time in Al-Anon too because of her and she ended up dying at the age of 42 from a heart attack during DTs. She she never could get a hold of this. Um, but I ended up, I, I grew up in Michigan. I moved to Texas when I was 18, married a guy who drank like me. Well, I shouldn't say that. He drank every other day. He was, he drank alcoholically, but I, you know, I kept up with them and I partied and it was partying at that time. I could, after, you know, through the years, I, we had, I had two sons 
And if I knew that I had to get up in the morning with a, with a baby, I could pull up the night before, or I could have one drink. It was, you know, this is a progressive disease and it was something that progressed in me. So scoot on down the road a little bit. Um, I'll tell you about my first time in AA. And this was, it's kind of funny because I was 27 and I went to Al-Anon because my husband was drinking and all these women would come up to me and they, you know, they were really nice. And they said, you know, we always tell everyone to go to an open AA meeting. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Those are the people with the problem. I'm in this room. I don't need to be there. And I went to Al-Anon for a couple of months and, you know, I pretty much told all my sad stories and I heard everyone else's and I heard the AA room one day just erupt in laughter. And I swear it, it just, I remember it like it was yesterday thinking, it sounds like they're having more fun over there than I am in here. <laughs> and so the next day I went to an open AA meeting and I loved it. It was, I was just welcomed with open arms. Everyone was so friendly. I felt like I belonged, but some of the things that people were saying I couldn't really connect with because, you know, I, I wasn't drinking alcoholically at this point, but I sure did love it. The problem is I wasn't qualified. You know, they just accepted me. It was basically, you're here in AA, so you must be an alcoholic. And no one, you know, no one qualified me. They didn't ask me about how I drank. They didn't ask if I had any control or, or if I, um, you know, if I any choice in them, whether I drank or not. So I just sat in those meetings for a few months and I really liked it. And then, it, and I stopped drinking too completely. And, and I made my husband stop too <laughs> for a few months. And then we both kind of, okay, well, we don't need to do this. And so I continued drinking on through the years, never had a problem. When I was 36 years old, uh, it was like a switch was flipped. It was, it's so weird. Um, it was just all of a sudden I went from like going, you know, drinking like maybe on the weekends, not even every weekend to all of a sudden I was drinking every single night. And I remember, you know, how you kind of look at yourself from, you know, from outside and you're like, and it was like, I had this, what am I doing? Because that was my husband who did that. I was the one that ran the household. I was the one that gave him hell for, you know, drinking. And now here I was sitting out in the garage drinking every night. And he was, at first he was like, hey, this is great. My wife's drinking with me, just like it says in the book. But then, um, but then it got to where he was like, uh, excuse me, where's dinner? How come you're not bathing the kids? And, you know, it, I went downhill very, very fast. And, and there's, uh, there's a part in the big book that talks about how women can go down um, very fast to the point of no recall. And um, I was probably only six months in and I was like, okay, the fun is over. It's time to back off of this. And that was when I started trying to control it. And this is when the next four terrible years began for me. I, um, my little sister had been going to AA. And so I decided, you know, probably I should go to an AA meeting. And so I started going to meetings. Unfortunately, like I said, they were all the type of meetings where 
no one was talking about what an alcoholic was. No one was talking about the big book. It was basically what their day was like. And, um, and I was kind of confused. I thought that I just needed to go to meetings and that's how I would um, be able to quit drinking. So I did that and I did it for years and years. And I said, fortunately for me, cause I hear a lot of people that, you know they get disillusioned with AA. I never ever lost hope in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't know why that is because I was, there was a time I was going to literally four meetings a day. And I thought, you know, surely if I just go to more meetings, um, I will be able to get sober. Um, So you would think that I might start losing hope. But I think the thing is, is that I had tried everything else. I tried exercising. I tried, you know, the self-improvement. I tried switching men. I divorced my husband of 18 years you know, and, and it, because that wasn't working out, I, I switched jobs, I moved. So I did all the things that they talk about in the book. And I, uh, so I kind of, I think I had this, thank God, it was like, if AA doesn't work for me, I'm a dead person. Because as the years went on, it was getting really bad. Um, I remember one time I was, uh, I was out stalking this guy, which is the type of crazy I was. And I was driving home from that. And fortunately for him, he was not home. And the police were behind me. And to give you an idea of what my eyesight is like, I am legally, I'm blind. Um, I I have a guide dog from Guide Dogs for the Blind. And I have pinpoint vision. It's my, if you do your fields thing, um, most people can see way out here this is my field. It's like looking through two straws. And I had no business out driving at night. I sure as heck didn't have any business driving at night and drunk. And I was both. And I didn't know the police car was behind me. And I pulled into the parking lot of my apartment complex. And this is really sad to me because when I pulled into the, I finally saw him behind me. And my first thought was, oh no, I'm getting a DWI. And here I am, a single mother. I'm not getting child support. I can barely pay my bills as it is. But the thing is, right after that was, oh, good. Now I can quit drinking. Because I thought it was about consequences. I thought if I suffered enough consequences, if I had enough bad things happen to me, I would be able to quit drinking. And the truth of the matter is, is that it's, there's nothing bad enough that is going to give me the willpower to stop drinking. It's not about the consequences. Uh, That's why it talks about in the book that, you know, alcoholics literally die from drinking, waiting for that moment of willpower to be able to stop. But that was my thought. Oh, good. Now I can quit drinking. And then the cop comes walking up. Well, stomping up. And he's like, didn't you see me, you know, behind following you? Apparently he had been following me with his lights on for a while. And I said, and I know he knew I was drunk because I reeked. I'd been drinking all day. And he said, I said, well, I, I live right here. My apartment's right there. My two sons are asleep in there. And, and I don't know if he just didn't want to deal because it was late at night if he didn't want to deal with me, but um, he didn't arrest me. And he just gave me a ticker, ticket for an expired inspection or something, um, which of course went into warrant. But um, 
but that was, uh, you know, I woke up the next morning and I was like, oh my God, if I had gotten arrested, my kids were at home alone. My, you know, I couldn't afford to have a DWI. And so it was every single morning for years, I would make that firm resolution. I am not going to drink again. And I meant it with every ounce of everything in me. I mean, I really knew that today was the day. And that's part of the delusion of alcoholism. It's so crazy to me that I didn't recognize like maybe after a year or two years or three years that every morning I had been saying, I'm not drinking today. And every day I drank. And yet every morning I would get up the next morning and say, I'm not drinking today. You would think I would get to a point where I would think, gosh, maybe I can't do this, but I didn't because I thought it was just a matter of willpower. I thought it was just a matter of, I, I had heard people say, well, you just don't want to quit drinking, you know, enough. And the truth is, is that I wanted to quit. It was not fun anymore. I was a miserable drunk. I would always end up crying and, and it just, it wasn't fun. So anyways, I um, got up that morning, said I wasn't going to drink by that afternoon. I was drunk went to AA again. And um, a couple of times I got sponsors, but they, they would just tell me to go to meetings. And I'll tell you, it's funny because I went to this one meeting and there was this girl in there and it was this huge meeting and she would sit in the room and she would cry when it came around to her turn. And she would just sit there and cry and say, she had six months sobriety. I remember that. And she said, I can't, I want to drink so bad. And my sponsor said to just go to more meetings. And I was so mad at her, not because she was saying she couldn't drink and not because she was crying, but because she was so honest that she was actually had the, the nerve to sit in a meeting and say that she wanted to drink. And I was sitting there, I would leave the meeting and go get drunk. There was no way I was going to tell anyone that I wanted to drink. And so I hated her for being so honest. I didn't, you know, I, because I understood, I knew exactly what she was talking about. So anyways, I continued to go to these meetings. And, um, one night I, uh, I, I, um, well, the, I woke up in the morning and I didn't know what day it was. And I didn't, um, meanwhile, through all this, I've got two young boys that are going, take, going on this ride with me. You know, they see their mom dr getting drunk every single night. And I was the mom that because my husband was an alcoholic, I taught them how to play ball. I played soccer with them. We rode bikes all the time. We went to the park. It was like we were, you know, the three of us, we did everything together. And, and then now I don't have time to even watch a movie with them because I, I have to drink. And I remember this one night, um, I told them I was going to AA and I kept going to AA and they, and I was going um, to leave and they were begging me not to go. And because every time I went to an AA meeting, I wouldn't come home till the middle of the night. And, it, and, you know, so I can understand why they felt that way. The thing is, I was going to AA. I just couldn't make it home after the meeting. Um, so anyways, I ended up <clears throat> one morning, couldn't remember what day it was, had, whether I had to go to work, whether the kids had to go to school. And 
I remember laying there in bed thinking I need to get some help. And I never thought of going to like a treatment center or getting any outside help or anything. Uh, it just never even occurred to me, even though I knew people that had. So anyways, it was a work day and I ended up going to work. And what's amazing, it's so strange how God works things out because I went to my job and I, I knew about this place. It, it's a two week um detox where it's big book, which I didn't know that, but I just knew it was a, a place where my sister had gone and she talked highly about it. And I went to my boss and I told him I'm an alcoholic and I can't stop drinking and I need to go to a treatment place. And I had called them and they had a bed open. And here's what's really amazing is that my boss, I was an executive admin assistant to the vice president. And then I supported a manager and 30 IT guys. And he said, you know what? I don't know anything about AA or alcoholism, but can I call Jerry, your manager in? And I said, sure. You know, I didn't know what, and Jerry came in, turns out his brother and his father were both in AA and they were just so supportive of me. And then I found out that the owner of the company that I worked for was also in AA. And so it was just like, it was so amazing the support that I got from them. They had another secretary drive me uh, to, the, uh, to the detox place. And when I got there for the very first time in all the years that I'd been going to AA, I found out what alcoholism was. And it was this, <laughs> this lovely big black woman with this booming voice and she would say, that's not in the big book. And she would pound the podium and we'd all jump out of our seats. And she, uh, I'll tell you, it's like she had our attention. But what she did was she went through the big book and she told me about what being an alcoholic is. And she said that um, I have an allergy to alcohol, that when I put alcohol in my body, I developed this craving that is going to, it doesn't matter what I'm doing or what my intentions were, this craving is paramount. And it's going, and, and I was like, I get it because I was never one of those people that went to the liquor store and say, oh, I'll just buy a six pack. That'll be enough. When I went to the beer store, I bought enough to get me through the night. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to stop, but I didn't know why. I thought it was a matter of willpower. This is a physical thing. My body craves it. And not everyone has that. Alcoholics do. So that immediately clicked. And then she talked about the obsession of the mind, the lack of choice. I had no control once I start drinking. So now I have no choice whether I'm even, even going to do it. And I was like, you know, all these years of saying I'm not going to drink today. And then I would. So that made sense too. Now. I started off on a path and I got a sponsor. And unfortunately, they told me at that place, get a sponsor. And here's what you say. You say, have you had a spiritual awakening as a result of working the steps out of the big book? And I was like, well, I'm not going to say that. Obviously, I still had some, some uh, problems with following directions. Um, and so I got this sponsor who was not a big book sponsor. She said she was, but she gave me all these crazy directions. She wasn't in the book. And after four miserable months of working on the most horrendous 
fourth step because she gave me this fourth step with just like 50 questions, which had nothing to do with what was in the big book or what you're supposed to be looking at as far as the selfishness and dishonesty. It was just, it was kind of therapy stuff. And I wrote, I had binders full and I'm not kidding you. I was writing in the margins. I wanted to be very thorough. So I worked on it for four months. And after four months, I was the most miserable person on the planet. And those were, even looking back, that time of not drinking and not having a solution was the worst time of, of my entire life. I, I can honestly say that. After four months, I went to a meeting and I was just like, I walked in, and I was just like, ugh. I left, went to the bar and I sat there and I will tell you, I sat there at the bar with a beer in front of me and I thought through the drink because you hear about that. Think through the drink. Think, think, think. And so I sat there for probably a whole five minutes and I played it out what was going to happen if I drank that. Obviously, since I was sitting there thinking through the drink, I did not understand that I had no choice. It was going to happen. That's the delusional thinking. I was thinking if I just thought hard enough and played the reel forward, um, and I thought if, you know, because I didn't understand that I was going to drink regardless, no matter what. But at that point, I just drank, went home, took a bottle of pills, ended up in Parkland ICU for three days. Um, and thank God I made it through that. Then went to a 30-day treatment center and I got a big book sponsor. And she was she was, um, she was good big book, took me through the steps, um, very thoroughly. I was still very ornery and argumentative and it ended up, she fired me. <laughs> um, and so I got another sponsor and then I met a guy when I was four months over and she said, you are nowhere near ready being in a relationship. She said, I'm not telling you you have to wait a year, but you're not ready. And if you're going to date him, you need to find a new sponsor. So I got a new sponsor and I always share this part of my story because I put the man before God and this guy was no healthier than I was. He only had like five months sobriety and it was, it was terrible. And so after 11 months with him, I went out for one night, got drunk, continued on with this relationship. And I thought, well, possibly if we got married, this is going to make this relationship better, which is the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> married him, got drunk after 11 months again, and then left him. And that was my last time. What happened was we had moved out to uh, this um, far North Dallas, no buses. I can't drive because I'm blind. So I had to walk to a gas station and I was buying one beer at a time because you don't sit in the middle of Plano, which is a fancy area of Dallas, and drink beer on a bench. So I would go and get one beer, drink it, go back in the gas station, buy another one. And that gas station attendant was just like, what is up with this lady? Um, and so I got drunk. And um, I remember sitting there because I had worked the steps and I had had a spiritual awakening. And the only thing that was going through my mind was I am being cut off from the sunlight of the spirit. And I will tell you, there was never, uh, if you had told me before that, that the most important thing to me would be my relationship with God, 
I would have laughed at you. But that was, that was the darkness was just coming in that emptiness, I was cut off and, and it was, it was terrible. And the next day I went to, um, I went to my group, the primary purpose group and my sponsor and my grand sponsor both sat down with me and they said, they gave me a very thorough step one. And they said, you know, they said, are you going to follow directions? And I said, yes. And they said, if you don't go away. And that's what they said. They said, we will have, we will do everything we can to help you. If you are willing to work, do what we do, but we're not going to be a part of your death. And I was just a sobbing mess. And I went out into, there's this courtyard area and, um, and none of my friends came over to me or anything. And I found out later that my sponsor had told um, all my friends to stay away from me. They said, do not go comfort her. What they wanted to do was to let that sink in. And, and some people, when I say that, when I tell my story, they're like, oh, that's so mean. I can't believe they did that. But I swear to God, uh, those women saved my life. I mean, that was, they beat me into a state of reasonableness. I understood and, and I was like, this is it. And thank God that was September 7th, 2003. And I haven't had a drink since I got in the game. I got connected. What happened was I, um, I went through the steps very quickly. Um, my sponsor started taking me around to the treatment centers and, um, and I started carrying the message. Uh, I still remember the first time I was at this place called Homeward Bound. It's a treatment center. And I, the weather was really bad. And I made it there because I ride dark. And so the dark driver got me there, but no one else made it. And I had never spoke to a group of girls before. And I called my sponsor up and I'm like, no one's here. And she said, well, you're there. And so I was like... I had to do, I had to do the meeting with these girls and, and it was the best thing ever because I was looking at these women that I was talking to as if they were like judging me and, you know, and perhaps some do, cause I did when I was in that position, but they're also like me and they're, and they're, they're good women and they're, they're kind and loving. And when I told them, you guys are stuck with me, I've never done this before. And I'm standing there holding my book and it's just shaking. Cause I was so nervous and they were all like, you're okay. You can do this. Just, you know, they were really encouraging me. And afterwards, you know, I just did a lot of reading and I would comment when I can. And, um, and afterwards, they all just came up and, oh, you did great. And I'm sure it was horrible. You know, I, I know it wasn't like, you know, like when you get a little more comfortable, but they were so sweet. And that was a great experience. And I, every time I carry the message somewhere, it's like you just, I'm on a cloud. You know, it's like everything that I thought was so important, um, it's all in God's hands again. God's handling it. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so anyways, I want to tell you a little bit about, um, I went through, I went, like I said, I went through the work very quick. I did a fourth and fifth step, very solid, did six and seven, which is where I asked God, you know, to take all of this crap. And then I went out and I started doing my amends. Um, 
I had some really amazing amends. My, my sister, she, um, we are just like this. I mean, two peas in a pod. This is my older sister, always really close. And I had just cut her out of my life. She would call me when I was drinking and we'd go someplace sometimes, other times we wouldn't. But what happened was as my drinking got worse, I started either canceling, uh, well, canceling or just not, you know. So anyways, she got mad whenever I would cancel and I would cancel because I was either hungover or I needed to drink or I was on my way to getting drunk. And so she got on me and she said, you know, you're always canceling. And so I was like, okay, fine. I just won't schedule anything. And so what I did was I just stopped taking her calls. And I, I mean, which, I mean, think about the person closest to you that you could call anytime and they're going to pick up the phone and to have them just stop answering their, your calls. That's what this was like. I, I, I mean, I hurt her badly. And so I, I did my amends to her and, and that was so amazing because my sponsor told me, she said, you go in there and you say you were selfish, you were inconsiderate, you know, you caused harm to her and, and you regret that you did that. And what can you do to make that right? And she said, and then you bite your tongue, you zip your lip, you don't say anything, just like in the book. And I said, okay, so I, I said that to my sister and she, you know, at first she was like, I'm just so thankful that you're sober and you just keep doing what you're doing. And then I said, well, is there anything that you want to tell me? And she kind of got on a roll. And I mean, she let me have it for like 30 minutes. And for just a moment, I wanted to say, well, yeah, but you know, and then my sponsor's voice was like, shut your mouth. And then I remembered, you know what? I caused all this. She let her get it all out. And by the end of it, we were crying and hugging and it's amazing. And I said, what can I do to make this right? And she said, I just want you in my life. And so that's, that's my amends to her. And, um, you know, we've had our, our, you know, we've had our times where it's been rough between us, but, um, it's always come around. Um, Another amends I did was my dad had died before I, um, before I, uh, got sober. And I was like, I was big time daddy's girl. It was, and I was dishonest with him. I was, uh, I acted like I liked computers. I would sit there next to him, listening to him talk about computers. Cause he was a big it guy. He, he actually worked on the King college airport, um, computer system, um, in uh, Saudi Arabia for a year. And he was just, he was at the top of his game. And I think he thought I would probably follow in his footsteps. And I'm telling you, it bores me to tears, but just so that I could be close to him and have him, you know, so, but there were some selfishness too, as far as, you know, he had heart surgery and I, I wasn't there for him, you know, as much as I could have been, but he had died. And so I was like, I don't, you know, how am I supposed to make men, amends to him? And it says in the book that if we can't see someone, we write an honest letter. And that's what my sponsor said. She said, write a letter and go to the cemetery and read it to him. So it seemed kind of ridiculous to me, but I was all about following directions now. And so I wrote a letter, an amends letter, and I went to the cemetery. And just to give you a tiny bit of background so that you can put this in perspective, my dad moved from Michigan where he grew up to Texas and he was 
He called himself a born-again Texan. He came here at the height of the Dallas Cowboys when they were all that, and he loved Texas. And when he moved out to Lake Dallas, he you know, he was, they found a tarantula in their yard and he called me up in Michigan and said, yeah, we found a tarantula in our yard. We put it in an aquarium in our house. And, and did you know tarantulas can jump straight up? <laughs> we didn't either. And now it's in our house somewhere. And I was just like, oh yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> but um, he also would say that when he drives home from work, he went down this dirt road and there'd be a road runner that would run down the side of the road next to his truck. And he just loved that. So I go out to this cemetery and I'm kneeling and I'm reading this letter and I'm crying and, and it's, and I prayed before I went, just like my sponsor told me to. And it was so profound. It was, it was a spiritual, um, it was me, God, and, and my dad. I know that. And um, it was so much more than I ever could expect it. And that's because doing these spiritual things, doing what they lay out in the book, it's not about just, um, it's, it, it's taking the action, but God is involved. So I never know what's going to happen. And it's always amazing. Um, so when I stood up from reading my letter and I turned around, there was the biggest road runner I'd ever seen running down the dirt road next to the cemetery. And I was like, you know, that it, there was a time where I would say, oh, that what a coincidence, but I don't believe in co coincidences anymore. Um, this is, that was an amazing thing. Um, that was God. I felt like my amends had been received and, and accepted. Um, so as time goes on, I meet a man in AA and I was 11 months sober and I was still married to this guy that I had left 11 months ago. And my sponsor said, and I wanted to date this guy at first. I didn't because I never wanted to date again because I was convinced that men made me drunk, <laughs> but, um, but then I got to know him and, and I was like, and she said, okay, Wendy, here's, here's a spiritual principle. Married women don't date. And I was like, oh, and I was, you know, I, I, I didn't have any money to go for a divorce. I didn't know where this guy was that I had divorced. And so basically um, I, uh, I had to do it myself and I did, I got the paperwork and I, for a month, I went downtown to the courthouse. I would do everything and I'd take it to the court clerk and she would tell me what I did wrong. And then I'd go back and mind you, I can't drive. So I'm taking the bus downtown and I'm driving and I'm going back. So uh, all of this, it's amazing what we, when we really want something, what we're going to go through. <laughs> Finally, I got the divorce. And we were able to date and um, we ended up getting married. We've been together for 16 years now, been married for 11 or 12. I God, I'm terrible at that. He actually remembers that. I don't. But um, so that is pretty amazing. Now, my sons, obviously, when I got when I um, that suicide attempt, they uh, I lost everything. I lost my house. My, well, my apartment, I lost my job. One son went and lived with my sister-in-law who had a daughter his age so they could go to school together. My other son, um, he was 
16 at the time. He, so, and um, he had gotten his GED and dropped. So he stayed with me. I was living with my sister, but it was just a mess. If you could imagine, and I know some of you have experienced this, where you don't have your own household after having that for all these years. And so that was a really tough time. And I, a uh, lot of 10 step calls. Um, it's amazing. My sister took me in one of my sons, a 120 pound great Pyrenees dog and a cat and six kittens. I mean, what a saint. And I stayed with her for a few um, months until I got on my feet. And all this time, I was going to meetings and I was going to three meetings a week at our group because we only have three meetings a week. And on the other nights, I was going to, um, I was taking the bus all over town. I would go to that treatment center where that two, two week detox place I would go to. It took me three buses to get there two and a half hours. And I would go out there and come back. And I did that two times a week. And then I would go to this other place um, uh, over in Oak Cliff and carry the message there too. So it was, you know, this willing to go to any lengths. Some people didn't want me for their sponsor because they would whine about they had lost their license. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> I will never have a license again. I take the bus. And, but it's amazing how God puts people in your lives because I had this one woman who she had, uh, she couldn't drive. She had her license suspended. She had um, felony. I actually met her at the Salvation Army and she was about to go to prison for a good long time. And I met her there and this woman took the bus all over town. And she was like, she would walk miles to get to a bus stop. And, and it was so cool to see, you know, that, and she never complained. She would walk a mile in 110 degree heat. And I would be like, call us. We'll come, you know, we'll get someone to come pick you up from the bus stop. And she's like, nope, I can do it. Uh, she was quite amazing. Um, uh, she, I sponsored her for eight years and, um, she died a year and a half ago, colon, colon cancer, but, um, but what a blessing, you know, and, and I have other girls that I sponsor and they, it, just the highlight of my day when they call it, it, I, I just feel so blessed. It's like every time I see that it's one of them, I ask God, please help me to be helpful. And my job as a sponsor is to get them back uh, in sync with God, you know, because whenever we're twisted up on these 10 steps, it's because I'm in self-will. I'm trying to do something. I'm in selfishness. I'm in fear. I'm, you know, all these things. And so, uh, you know, I, I need to help guide them back to, listen, God's going to handle this. You're manhandling it. This is not about, um, trying to figure it out. Um, uh, have you prayed? Um, and, that's just, it, we are so fortunate to be able to be able to help people that way. You know, I, I, I never, my sister, who is a very religious person, um, has said to me, she said, I never thought I would be learning um, spiritual things from you of all people, <laughs> which I understand. <clears throat> I mean, because I was such a mess, but now we're on the same wavelength as far as, you know, about God and everything. Um, what else? Gosh, I may be a little bit early. 
because I don't want to just keep talking just to drag it all out. But how my life is now, my life now is amazing. My relationships with my sons, um, I did amends to them and they fully understand my way of life and they are not embarrassed by it. In fact, my younger son, when he was in school, after a year, he came back to live with me and he, they had, you know, they have like those drug-free days at school. And his teacher said to Sean, um, she said, well, Sean, you know about this because he's been open and I've been open about my alcoholism and uh, that I'm in a 12-step program. And he said, yeah, my mom's in a 12-step program. And she, and he explained about the allergy and the obsession. And he actually did a term paper on it with the big book as his reference. And he got an A on it. Um, and the thing is, is that he's been able to talk to people about that. This is a high school kid. And he's been able, you know, it, we never know who's going to hear that, that someone might be able to say, listen, I heard this, or, you know, maybe you can talk to this person. So it's really cool how these things um, ripple out. Um, uh, my relationship with him is great. My other son, unfortunately, he's an alcoholic and I've, I've had to do a lot of Al-Anon around him. But you know what? We have a great relationship. I love him to death. And we he comes over all the time. He calls me all the time. And I'm just waiting, you know, hoping that he will make it uh, here because I, I know how painful it is. He doesn't want to stop yet. Um, he, he's not done. And that's hard to watch, especially having gone, gone through that. But I'm fortunate that I can accept him where he's at and be able to show him what this is supposed to be like. Uh, like I said, I have a guide dog. I got to go to a, um, to a uh, guide dogs for the blind in California one time and another time in Oregon for my second guide dog. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had had to go to meetings because it's a very strenuous um, schedule. I was there for a month um, and you train with the dog, you get up at six in the morning, you're not done till nine at night. And there, you know, there are no AA meetings, but I had my phone and I called my sponsor regularly. I had my big book. I did my prayer and meditation. Um, and I did my 10 step and I practiced spiritual principles while I was there. And what's really neat, um, there were 11 of us and there was me, an alcoholic, and there was this other guy from Mississippi, and he, um, and he, uh, we, I would say something, and I would see him looking at me, and then sometimes he would say something, and I would be like, gosh, he kind of sounds like he's programmed, and, um, and then one day, he finally came up to me, and he said, are you in the program? And I was like, yes. And, and so he, um, we both were, you know, and he was big book. He was solid and he was an addict and he actually worked for the Salvation, Ar um, uh, Salvation Army. But um, it was really cool because from that point on, it was like, he was kind of my buddy and we would sit there and go, oh, we miss our people, you know? And um, so that was really, I, I just feel like that was so cool that, um, you know, cause they say like one out of 10 people are alcoholics and here there's 11 of us and here's two of us. So that was really neat. Um, 
So I guess I want to end with, it's just, uh, this has changed my life. And this big book, I keep thinking about um, my sponsor many years ago. She was speaking and she held the book up. And this was when I was really new. And she said, I love this book. And I was just like, man, she seems like she really loves that book. I love this book. Uh, and I understand it now. At that point, I didn't get it. Now I understand. And, and I love this book. And I love you all. And I thank you so very much.